White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm here with Lance. We have a big, big show for you guys today. This is uh, going to be our minor league all-star teams. Lance and I have uh, each, without without knowing, secret ballot, have picked our all-star <laughs> teams. We've now looked at each other's teams now pre-show, so we know. But we put them together as a surprise we did catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, a right-handed pitcher, and a left-handed pitcher. And uh, we're going to hit you with some updates early on here, talk about uh, some of my recent looks, maybe some of the things that Lance has uh, been working on. And uh, then we'll get into this all-star team. So this is probably going to be like a three-hour episode, Lance. Yep. Are you ready for this journey, this I odyssey have... that we're about to embark on? I'm, I'm ready. I got a water bottle full. I got my Brita thing next to me. Um, my main question, Ralph, is wondering uh, – you know, if we if these are our all star teams, then we have to give them jerseys. So I, I don't know. Like I feel like you have to pick. Like, what's your favorite minor league jersey? I got one in mine. It's very biased, but I love the the off white blue Hartford Yard Goats jersey. Like the, they have that off white cream color with the blue lettering and that green piping. That's sick. That's what my squad would wear. What about you? Do you have one in mind? I don't know. This is this is an on the spot question. I did not prep you for this one. Yeah, that's a very, very on the spot question. And you know, I'm like, trying to like, you know, <laughs> no, no throw, worries. I know go, putting you go on the through my here. mind and like my, my favorite uniforms and, and you, you already grabbed the yard goats I know, there. I know. Um, I'm buying myself time, talking, talking, <laughs> words coming out of my mouth, trying to come up with an answer. Uh, for some reason that that uh, silly uh the silly uniform. It's like an alternate uniform. That's like tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why all this, like the silly yeah. alternate uniform just sticks in my head, but you know what I'm going to go with? And um, I'm just going to stick it in. I'm going to stick it in your face a little bit for okay. putting me on the spot. I'm going to go with the Fort Wayne tin caps because Ooh. I love the, the, like the sleeveless shirts that they have with the green under. Right. And, mm-hmm. and the pinstripes, the gray, um, really cool logo. I'm going to go with, I'm I like go that. with the Fort Fort Wayne tin cap. So that's, that's, uh, that's my all-star team logo. We're playing in, uh, I guess like, uh, some sort of weird mode in, in MLB, the show right <laughs> yeah. now where, where we can pick any uniform and build our own team. So 
just for minor leaguers, though. Just, just for minor, minor leaguers. We're playing in a PCL stadium. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So that means all our pitches are going to be lit up. We should play in the moon stadium. Why are we playing in the moon? Like <laughs> Mexico we're, we're City. Be... Let's go to Mexico City. <laughs> Mexico City. All right. It's a, it's a date. Um, <laughs> Love it. Let's, let's start with some updates here. Yeah. I know we've, we're all chipper. We're up on like an 11 out of a 10, and we're going to bring it down to a somber note now. Nick Senzel is out for the season. Fractured finger, no ligament damage. But uh, I know in your notes you wrote really bummed. I as well am just absolutely like it seems like every week I have to deal with an awful injury. So uh, ugh, Nick Senzel, any I thoughts know. on Senzel for next season? Like it's just quick. I, yeah, I mean, it seems like I, there's points where you start to really consider whether a guy's and I hate this tag, but injury prone. And for Sincel, it just seems like there's a bunch of weird stuff that's happened to the point where I personally don't think he's injury prone. I just think that's an overused term. But he's run into some very odd injuries to the point where maybe we start to limit his upside a little bit because he seems to be getting injured in a variety of things. He was throwing a ball, I believe, and he felt his finger pop. I saw a tweet from him today that this surgery was successful. So, again, another positive here. And the reason I'm really bummed, and I think we're both really bummed, is just I I loved what I saw when I saw him out in Louisville. I was just all in on what he was doing, bat the ball, his right center approach, how compact he is. He's a guy that I always, and I always mention, as you've ever listened to this podcast, that he gets in his lower half a little bit, he's going to blow up. I think he's a plus player at the major league level. And I just want to see him at the major league level. Like, there was some, when Suarez went down earlier in the year, there was a little bit of a hope. There was hope in there that maybe we saw him earlier than usual, and that didn't happen. Had some vertical problems. That came back, et cetera. And we're doing it all over again. I, I don't have anything aside from just I'm bummed because I was really hoping that he'd be able to make an impact with the Reds. I think he could make an impact with the Reds, even though they're not that great of a team. I think if you're rebuilding right now and you're in a dynasty league, my uh, advice would be go out there, see what the Nick Senzel owner is willing to take, especially if he's somebody that's you know competitive. Um, that might be a decent, a decent target. You know, he's definitely somebody I'm still all in on. Uh, and it's been freak things. Like I'm probably a little bit more, uh, cautious with him more because of the vertigo stuff coming back and what, you know, he's had to deal with that, you know, with that stuff over the last year versus this finger thing. This is one yeah, of those just yeah. funky things like Giancarlo Stanton, right? Like you get hit with a couple of balls. Like, all right, all right. you know, yep, it's, it's going to happen, but you know, thus far, knock on whatever it is. I don't own him anywhere. So I guess they really don't care all that much, but you know, Stanton hasn't been hurt for the last couple of years. So I, I, I just, I, I, I'm very, very, uh, apprehensive to put the injury prone tag on the Senzel long-term. I think he's somebody you yep. target and And in some situations, if you're in a dynasty league and you're not competing this year and you don't have to force him up next year, you know, if, he was to get called up because I think we all thought he would probably get called up sometime during the summer and probably exceed his limits that you may not be able to keep him in your minors in a dynasty league. So I think that's one of the bonuses. You might be able to hold this guy a little bit longer and you might be able to buy him a little bit cheaper. I'm not going to move him down much in my ranks, maybe a spot or two. If there's somebody I'm super gassed on, but we'll talk about some of the guys I'm super gassed on probably a little bit later on. Uh, another update here. I wanted to just sort of quickly mention, and we can get our thoughts on the player, but Sandy Alcantara is going to be starting. Uh, when you listen to this, it'll be Saturday. We're recording on Thursday. So he hasn't started yet. Well, I don't know if he got blowed up or not. I know the streaminator on Rasball doesn't like him. I'm not giving away trade secrets here because uh, <laughs> it's it's in the past. So uh, if, if he got blowed up, then you know that the, the streaminator is very smart. If he didn't get blown up, then uh, I don't know what to tell you, Rudy, and I can't be right all the time. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on Alcantara? I saw, I saw you have here 85 innings pitched, a 3.71 ERA, only an 18% uh, strikeout yeah. rate, 10% walkout rate. 
that's kind of the story with with Sandy Alcantara, no? Yeah, I think that's always been the thing. Back when he was a Cardinal, it was always fastball, and everyone lived on that fastball and projected everything else out. It doesn't seem like everything's really come together. But, I mean, I, I'll always go back to saying that this is the best organization he could have gone to just because I think a lot of other teams probably had an inclination if they obtained him in that trade. The Ozuna trade is obviously one of the centerpieces in that trade going back to Miami from the Cardinals. If another team obtained him, I think there was a much higher probability that he ends up in the pen. But going to the Marlins and going through this development system where they don't really have the time frame for the next three years, four years to probably win, they could develop him as a pitcher. I think that's, again, positive. So even if he's only striking out 18% of the guys he's facing, walking 10%, I don't like that at all. The FIP is... is is something that's probably going to end up correcting at the major league level. I think the player rater is, or the streaminator, excuse me, is correct in assuming that's not going to be the greatest start or stream going forward. But he's sure. one of those like mid-tier dynasty assets that I still kind of don't mind. Just sitting on for a little bit, you obviously have to have patience with him. I think sure. a lot of people are going to jump off him if he starts to get beat up at the major league level, as he, I think, will get beat up a little bit. But we'll see going forward. I can't say I know too much about how he's done pitch mix-wise this year, but I'd be interested to see how uh, various pitches that he was throwing with the Cardinals have developed. Um, changeup in particular I know is one pitch that he he kind of tinkered with for a while everyone just liked it because they assumed with good fastball velocity good arm speed that would be able to project out I don't think it has too too much so we'll see we'll see with Alcantara but another one we could kind of run through these updates here Raph I don't know if you have any thoughts on Alcantara but Seth Beer is is I believe our first promotee to get or first 20 uh excuse me 18 draft guy to get promoted up a level right I'm trying to think if anyone else has maybe someone else slipped my slipped my mind but maybe Beer's the most high profile of them to do so he goes from short season tri-city to low a quad cities four home runs in 11 games obviously absolutely mashing they see something developmentally with the astros that makes them think obviously he's ready for the next level and i'm interested ralph because he's a guy i think we always went back to and this goes way back to any of the various guys that we we end up will craig is the one that we always bring up with uh you know, can't hit wood bat and that's what seth beer had struggled two summers in a row did not hit with wood bat gets into the minor leagues hits with wood bat it's 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 pretty interesting because I think he's always had some bat speed. So you, I guess if you always believed in that over the fact that he just couldn't hit with wood against better competition. But then again, it might just be he's a really advanced college hitter. And I know that some of these guys who are really advanced college hitters excel yeah. in the lower minors. So yeah. is it a thing where he gets to low A or possibly gets up to high A or something like that by the end of the year and then just starts to flatline? And it was just one of those crazy accelerations to that point before he can't get above. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested just because it seems like uh, this might be something that maybe as the industry we were a little bit wrong on and assuming he, maybe he wasn't of first-round value. But the Astros clearly see something in him they like. What are your thoughts on Seth Beer, Ralph? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a big part of it, too, might be, you know, maybe his power plays a little bit more now with Wood. Now that he's getting away from some of those, you know, college bats that I know, you know, really depressed power over the last yeah, couple of years since they've sort of yeah. changed their, you know, their standards with the BB core stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, he's, he's really tough because as you said, these advanced college hitters with a long track record that have played against high level competition for several years now, which is exactly the kind of description that Seth beer fits. And he has a decent approach and he's got all that stuff going for him. He has the power. He has good bat speed. You know, it, you saw what Brent Rooker did, and I think you're, yeah, you're seeing point. what Rooker's doing this year. Rooker's good. Rooker's not as good as we maybe thought he was coming out of the Florida State League. So I think the rubber meets the road with guys like this at double-A because I think that's the first time that they're truly going to be challenged if they are, you know, those advanced college hitters, the really good guys. Um, that's where, you know, you sort of you sort of separate, you know, the – 
I don't know. Uh, I, there's some old folksy expression here. I'm supposed to say, but I don't know. I don't know what the folk <laughs> expression is. So it, whatever you're separating from, like wheat or something. But e- either way, uh, <laughs> you know, bad, it's not right? where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, the men from the boys. Uh, that's probably what I should have said. Yeah. So I guess it's where you separate the men from the boys. You can just cut that whole thing out and bring it back. But uh, <laughs> I oh, think man. that I think that you know, with beer, it's just uh, yeah. I I, I want to buy in. I am a little bit excited. I got to be honest. It's good to see that, you know, he's, he's gotten off to a strong start. Let's hope that it continues, but I got to see him like in double a, you know, once I see him in double a, I really think that's what, what the test going to be. And sometimes that's not even enough. We saw with AJ Reed, he killed in double a, and he's been an excellent hitter all throughout his career in triple a yeah. for the most part, but he just can't hit at the major league level. Right. Or really hasn't gotten an opportunity maybe at this point, but who knows? So I don't know. He's, uh, He's definitely moved up my rankings. I wouldn't have him top 10 or anything like that. No. Yep. I, I don't think he's a top 100 guy. I don't uh, either. I think he he's... might push he might push that if he if he really hits, you know, but I'm sure. I'm changing in my ways and I'm far more ca- cautious now. Uh with a lefty with bat these like sort this of lefty first base with that. Yeah, with these with these college bats. Yeah, mm-hmm. lefty righty doesn't matter so much because I do love Peter Alonso. So fair, we'll fair. get into that later. But yeah, I don't know. You know, beer was beer was promoted. I was going to mention that uh, Bruzdar uh, Gratterall was promoted as well up to uh, High Fort Myers. So that should be interesting. You know, he's super he's super talented. But for me, it's just a matter of can he stay healthy. Um, another you know quick promotion news here. I think I don't know if you wanted to mention anything about Bruzdar, but uh, Mitch Keller was also promoted to AAA. Uh, he's been very good of late. What are your thoughts on Keller? Cause I know you, you obviously mm-hmm. put him in the notes, so I'm assuming you probably have, uh, some insights to share. Yeah, no, he was a guy that I, I really wanted to try to get out and see in Altoona, but now he's in Indianapolis, which is actually closer to me. So I think there's maybe even more of a chance that I get out and see him. Um, I think that it, this goes back to how well he's pitched, obviously pitched well late, but he's built really easily as a top minor league arm because he's like nine and two or something like that. So MLB, MILB is easy to throw out the tweets that are like, Oh, he's got nine wins. He's going to be the first guy to double digit wins. When in reality, no one really cares about the wins. I personally just don't care about the wins. I care more about the fact that his striker rates down a little bit to 22%. And walk rates kind of fine. He's a guy who's, I think always projected, projected out with plus command too, which is a a huge part of his development long-term. He's kind of like that, I don't want to say he's like a Luke Weaver kind of guy, but he's a guy who lives on that command side of things. Luke Weaver is an individual I've just wrote about and thought about recently. So I obviously know that he doesn't really have substantial break or anything on all these pitches that he throws. He's just a guy who, who lives off having good command, good control. And I think that's where Keller ends up. But the, the plus side on Keller is that he, he also has very good breaking ball and the changeup is something that I still think is kind of in, in flux, which I think he's going to have to use in AAA to actually succeed. So I think that we'll kind of get a make or break moment for him. And I, I'm actually really interested. I think this is a very interesting promotion. I know Bruce stars up to Fort Myers high, but Keller's is a little more interesting to me just because this is like it. Like this is where we start to see if he yeah. turns into like a, just a guy who can't reconcile with his command. Does he end up like a Tyone kind of guy where he maybe struggles a little bit to start, but there's been flashes where you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. I could see this projecting out and becoming a much better pitcher. He's a top yep. right-handed arm for me. I really like him. I think I have him. If I, obviously I ever think you mentioned you were going to start to look into your mid-season re-rankings of top 100 prospects. I'd have him, I believe probably top 40, 35, 30. I think he's going to be in that window yeah. for me. I really like him as a right-hand arm. I always have. And I think his velocity is easy as heck. So 
I always come back to him. Yeah, for Mitchell. fantasy, he plays down a little bit. He though. does. Correct. I think you got yeah. you got to discount him a little bit because I don't know if he's going to strike out as many guys as he probably should. Mm-hmm. And he struggled at points earlier in the year. He did. Um, very much I got to so. go back, but there was a stretch where he wasn't all that great. Nope. He's really come on of late. Uh, good for Keller. I think he's going to be a very good major league starter within the next you know four years. But I think it might take a few years, as you said, for him to sort of take his lumps and uh, get to the point where we consider him to be a, a number one, number two sort of guy. Yep. Uh, but I think he can get there. I think he can get there, and I think the strikeout stuff eventually will tick up, but it might take a while. Yep. Um, did you want to mention Ethan Hankins? I did, Who yeah. was drafted by the Cleveland Indians. And uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about this story? There's some some drama with the signing, some leverage stuff possibly? Yeah, it seems like leverage stuff. This will kind of – I guess we talked a bunch of – we talked Sid Beer's draft, but now he's in the minor leagues. But we're going to jump now to kind of – draft guys and then we're gonna Ralph's gonna talk a little cable to mention Andrew Vaughn and the Oregon State winning College World Series, et cetera. But Ethan Hankins is really interesting because he's a guy uh, earlier on in the winter coming in, cresting into this spring, he was a top arm. I think a lot of people projected him top five, high school arm, not a lot of high school righties end up in the top five. Hankins had the helium to do so. Obviously falls out, had a I believe it, shoulder injury early in the spring that shut him down a little bit. Comes back, pitches relatively well. I don't think the Vila was back up to where everyone thought it was, which probably bogged down his um, draft stock a little bit. It ends up going comp around to the Cleveland Indians. What he re- and he hasn't signed yet, so that the window's obviously closing for all this stuff. But what he does to apply pressure to the Indians, from what I understand, is he he actually commits to playing at a JUCO school, Chipola College, two days ago. This happens Tuesday, two days ago, and it gives him a little bit of leverage on the Indians to actually start to put more money into him because the the hit he took from falling from the top ten-ish picks to where he fell, I believe, it was around three to four million dollars. So. What it comes back to is almost a psychological bet by Hankins. Does he believe that he is a good enough pitcher to go to Chipotle College and dominate? And then the key here is that next year he would be 2019 draft eligible as a JUCO guy like this, as a JUCO pitcher who goes to Chipotle. But if he were to go to a four-year college, he becomes eligible, I believe, three years later, unless he's a sophomore yes. draft eligible guy like a Benintendi who's sophomore draft year eligible. So. I think it's a really interesting bet. It's basically Hank Hankins saying, Indians, I want X. He probably has a dollar figure, and he's like, I want X dollar figure, and the Indians are probably bluffing on him, and he's probably going, no, I want X dollar figure. Now I'm going to sign with this Juco club, which in my mind, as Hankins, if I was Hankins doing this, I have, number one, immense confidence that I could go out, dominate Chipotle College, re-rise my draft stock up to, the say, top 15 maybe, and then earn another 2 to $3 million and go that way and say, you know, flip the bird to the Indians almost. So that's kind of where we sit with Hankins. I think this might develop by the time this podcast goes out. So if you're really interested in this story, I just think it's interesting that there's some really good columns out there written on it, yeah. and just kind of the interplays and all the piece, pieces of the puzzle that are locking into place. But um, I, I'm going to obviously keep on top of this story. But yeah, Google Ethan Hankins when you listen to this podcast. Maybe it's really developed by now. And maybe he's signed. Maybe he's going to actually Juco Chipola, which doesn't really happen too much. I think it's honestly, I think it's a, a leverage thing. The Indians will pay up. He'll end up signing. But I don't know. You never know what any of these things can uh, can shake out, Ralph. But uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but you did see Zach Thompson, Ralph, who is yeah. a lefty, I believe. You saw him on the Cape. We were talking about this a little bit. I think you mentioned him in one of your most recent, recent Rasball minor league update columns. Or, actually, no, the Prospect 1500 Cape League stuff, right? That's yeah. what you had this out on. Exactly. There you go. So yeah, tell us about yeah, Zach Thompson. came out yesterday. Yeah, so um, I wanted to mention, though, before we, we jump into uh, sure. uh, Thompson, Jonathan India hasn't signed yet. He has it. Yeah, that seems a little weird. I was reading in Kyle McDaniel's Fangraphs chat that that seems like more of just a weird thing. I, I I doubt that he doesn't sign. It maybe just seems like one of those later signed guys. I don't know if there's particulars on the contract being worked out. But um, sure. from what Kylie said, it just seemed like it was more this happens to some guys. And he just kind of shrugged. So 
I don't know. But the Hankins <laughs> one is, I think, the most interesting just because he has the opportunity to go back and to go to Chipola and, and try to leverage himself up into draft stock. So, um, but yeah, I know Indian's a guy you, India, excuse me, is a guy you liked a lot. And I like him too. And he's going to the Reds, which is a system that is slowly becoming relatively stacked with Hunter Green and yeah. these other guys in there. Guy that didn't hit all that well in the Cape last year, though. And mm-hmm. that leads in perfectly to what uh, you had just alluded to. And I got to see Zach Thompson, who's considered, I guess, one of the top college players, probably one of the top college pitchers, if not the top college pitcher at this point, sort of heading into next year's draft. And uh, he's a pitcher from Kentucky. I think he's listed at 6'2", maybe 6'3", uh, like, you know, 210, something about that. And he's probably about 6'1", 6'2", um, but he's very stocky, uh, sort of, you know, strongly built, barrel-chested kind of a guy. Uh, so he, he pitches um, for Brewster. And I made a point to get down there on Saturday. It was the only Cape League game that, that wasn't canceled last Saturday due to rain. And uh, my parents don't live all that far from there. So my kids were staying overnight there. So we went down with my youngest. We picked up the, the two older kids. We went over to the game with my wife and myself. And uh, I got to sort of roam free and take some video, hang out behind the, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the plate and, and sort of, you know, the, the backstop there, chat with some of the scouts, check some of the informatics guys, some of the players uh, from, from each team. So that was, that was kind of an interesting you know, ripple to the whole thing. But, uh, so I got a, a really good look at Thompson versus really high level competition because it was one of the last two games that Andrew Vaughn was playing there before he joined team USA on Monday. Uh, same thing with Bryson Stitson. He was also joining team USA and, uh, they had had added a couple of players that I'll talk about in a, a minute or two that, uh, I hadn't seen in my first look at Wareham that were actually pretty good. So, Thompson comes out. I get there a little bit early, probably about 40 minutes before the game. So I get to see his full bullpen. And it's kind of hilarious because we are at a high school and it's a high school bullpen, <laughs> chain link fence, you know, about up to my waist. And I'm sitting there with like my oldest son and I'm just literally taping his bullpen. He was totally cool about it. Didn't even say anything. Same with the bullpen coach went about his business. He was doing his, his rock, uh, rock and drill. I think that, you know, I showed you, uh, which is kind of cool just to sort of see that we had picked out. I know some, some of the video that I had sent you that, you know, he had a knuckle curve grip, uh, on first curve ball that he was sort of using there. Um, and I saw the curve a couple times during the game, but he was using the slider a little bit more than he was the curveball. Um, so that was really interesting. I got a really sort of up close look, got to see him go through his workout. I didn't take too much video cause I want to be a, a total jerk, but I kind of hung there and just sort of watched what he was doing. And it was interesting. So, um, you know, fast forward to game time, you know, top of the order is, is relatively good for, for Wareham. I can actually pull up the picture I have here so I can tell you who exactly was, um, starting. I think, you know, Vaughn typically is the number four, three hitter. So, Oh, it was, uh, Yedins from, um, who's an outfielder from UCLA, pretty good hitter. I think he's a 2020 guy, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I have to double check that. Uh, so he leads off, uh, doesn't get on base. I think he, I think he grounded out. Um, and Thompson got a ton of ground out. So he gets a ground out next steps up this guy, this, you know, five foot eight, five foot nine switch hitter from the numbers. He looks like a contact guy. I wasn't even, I didn't even take a video cause I was like, ah, oh, whatever. It's Saeed Valenzuela. And, uh, he's from Cal Fullerton. Okay. Uh, takes one pitch ball, second pitch. Thompson throws him a slider, hangs it. Kid rips it to left field. Homer. 
bomb. I think he hit like two or three homers all year for Cal Fulton. And uh, in his like second Cape League game, he just got activated. He hits a bomb off Thompson right-handed. So uh, he settles in a little bit. He gets, he gets you know, Andrew Vaughn to uh, ground out. Uh, Packard comes up. I forget where Packard's from, but he's not all that bad either. It's a pretty strong lineup that the Gatemen have. Packard, I think, uh, gets like a, a, weak, a weak fly ball. So uh, Thompson's numbers, looking, looking at, uh, you know, what the velocity was through, I think, mostly fastballs, a couple of sliders, no curveballs that inning. I would probably say it was about like a 65, 70 fastball heavy uh, uh, repertoire in that inning. Fastball was hitting like 91, 92. There were some 93s. Uh, second inning, somebody said they hit 94, but there was only one gun on on the 94. Um, slider was sitting like 83, like consistently. It seemed like everybody just had like 83, 83, 83, 82. Um, and like I said, I didn't get any curveballs that inning. Uh, Second inning came out, stri- strikes out uh, Bryson Stott, ran the count full, strikes out uh, Stott, who's, you know, one of the top players in the in the entire league. Pretty damn good hitter from the left side. Um, got a couple of ground outs from Phillips and then from uh, from Kreidler, Ryan Kreidler, who was really interested to see from UCLA. Um, didn't have a particularly great game, but you can just tell, you know, good athlete, really, really patient approach. Uh, quick hands. Um, he's everything I thought he was going to be. I just, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see a good game from him. He's not joining Team USA, so he probably will be one of the bigger stars now that Stott and Vaughn have left uh, Wareham. So, Thompson came out, had a really good second inning. Third inning, gets the top of the order again. Um, I think he might have walked somebody, gets the top of the order, and uh, Valenzuela comes up again. And from the right side, <laughs> pulls a fastball, like a, like a hard hit ground ball. And I mean, the thing was on the ground before it like even went past the mound right down the line. So just a really hard, quick, you know, hard hit ground ball right down the line. Um, you know, it ends up getting a double because you can actually see in the video it's, it's in my, my article. And I think I actually tweeted it out at the time as well from the game. He really pushes to second base because I think the left fielder kind of took a, a lazy run on it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a spark plug. This kid was somebody I was really, really shocked to see how good he is. And he's been really good since he's been in the Cape. So, um, let's see if the power plays up a little more. There's only two extra base hits thus far. Uh, unless he does something on Friday, he'll probably hit three homers on Friday. Now that I'm saying this, but <laughs> unless he does something on Friday, uh, both of his extra base hits are in the game that I saw and they're both off of Thompson. So he was actually the only guy to get a hit off of Thompson, the entire game. Thompson had a couple of walks, two hits, four innings, uh, struck out two as well. You know, he, he looked good. I mean, he threw a lot of strikes, um, re- repeated his mechanics very, very well. Mechanically, one of the things that I saw, and, you know, maybe you can jump in here cause I know you, you got to break down a little bit of the video. Um, really good balance is one of the first things that that's, that sticks out to me. Good extension with his front leg. Um, really good and consistent in terms of where he lands with this plant foot, but his back leg drive, like he really, pushes off from the mound. Um, and, and though he doesn't have a, a ton of velocity, I don't know if he's going to add maybe, you know, a, a mile per hour or two, but I think with the control he has and, uh, some of the plane that he has in the fastball, I, I do think that, um, you know, he's, he's going to be fine with the velocity that he has right now. It wasn't working in the eighties at all. I think I'm sort of comfortable with 91 to 93, um, knowing that he's a strike thrower. Uh, I don't know how many bats he's necessarily going to miss, 
but he definitely threw a couple of knuckle curveballs that that uh, that got a swing swings and misses. So maybe that's just a matter of you know mastering that pitch, using it a little bit more. I'd have to dig in on you know some of his starts for Kentucky to really know. Um, you know, what the full repertoire was. And I know he got a, a late start in the season as well. I think he had some sort of an injury, maybe it was a back thing or something like that coming into the season. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for sort of a pedestrian line that he had, I was pretty impressed. And there was a lot of excitement, electricity sort of in the building, tons of scouts that were, uh, you know, parked in sort of the, the media booth that sort of hangs above the backstop and, and home plate, tons of scouts up there, place was lined with them. Um, and I think because I was talking to the Infomatics guys, like before, uh, a couple of games that I've gone there, they were willing to sort of sneak me in and you can get under the, the bleachers there. Cause it's like, uh, you've been there. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's like a high school stadium with like wooden bleachers. So you can actually get under the bleachers up to the fence. And that's where I was getting a lot of my you know, open faced looks on, uh, Thompson, uh, from sort of like offset from, uh, you know, the first base side, a, a home plate. So yeah, it was, uh. It was a lot of fun. It was a good game. I got to see a lot of good players. They presented uh, Vaughn and uh, Stinson and excuse me, Stinson Stott. I'm getting all my guys mixed up here. Stott <laughs> with um, ah, some pitcher from UConn whose name is escaping me. Tim Kate. Uh, no. Uh, no, not not Kate was drafted this year, wasn't he? Oh, uh, you might be right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I could tell you who it was. I'd have to go back and look, but um, you can picture my mind immediately goes. To yeah, if you go to the U.S. <laughs> national team, I'll, I'll look it up in a second when I when I flip it over to you. But he was also joining Team USA, so those three guys were presented with like Team USA bats. It was kind of oh, a cool, cool ceremony cool. ahead of time. So uh, I don't know when they'll be back, if they'll be back at all. But I think I heard Torkelson's probably going to be back like the seventeenth of July. So I don't know if because he's uh, a twenty twenty guy. And, you know, going in, into a sophomore season, if, you know, maybe maybe they'll bring in some uh, some juniors to maybe get a little bit of run with Team USA because he's an outfielder and there's so many of those guys. But, uh, yeah, I know I'm I'm uh, I, I don't know, man, I'm I'm pretty excited for uh, all the, the Cape League stuff that I've got to take in. I don't know if you had any thoughts on um, Zach Thompson at all. Yeah, no, I, I looked through some of the video you sent me. Obviously, I was clipping it up, and it, it was cool to see. It looks like that you got up really close to him. I, I did agree with you in terms of saying, like, he had a heavy back like drive, and it, it, it kind of just translates to me as almost just being a little bit high effort in terms of he's he's 6'2". I think he's graded yeah. out 6'2". He's like 220, the Kentucky site. But I just – I, I kind of caught that feeling too. Like, it just seemed like it was more high effort than I expected it to be for a lefty who I believe was projected to – be one of the top arms of the subsequent draft. I don't know if he's going to fall at all. Maybe he's got like the projection on him, but it doesn't seem like you said like good knuckle curve, but it doesn't seem like he's a guy who's going to end up blowing the world away with like even Brady singer style. Not even to say Casey Mize, but Brady single style K's in terms of that fastball slider combo that singer had was beautiful on the strikeout side of things. It doesn't seem like Thompson's going to be posting, you know, 80 to 10 strikeout to walk ratios. It seems like it's going to be more, you know, maybe 60 to 30 ish with, you know, again, he's going to pitch deep into games and stuff, but he's interesting. I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe just from what you showed me and what my expectations were, I thought I was going to see like a guy you were going to be in love with too. It doesn't, it seems like you liked him. It doesn't seem like you're in love with him though, which is no, always one of no. those things like the expectations were probably, you know, relatively high. Cause you knew he was going to be a good prospect, but I don't know if they were met. Would you, would you say the expectations were met with Thompson or would you say that maybe there was a little, little bit to be desired? No, I think, I think there was definitely, um, 
a little bit to be desired okay, with, with Thompson. Like, yeah, he wasn't like a, like when, when I watched the the tape, the game that I sent you a, a Graham Stitson from Duke, like he was phenomenal. He's like big, like six, five, six, six, like two forty. you know, he throws heat sits like 93 to 95 pops 97 plus slider. Like, yeah. like he's nasty. Like in that game, I think he goes five innings and in a, Oh, it's off the top of my head. I want to say he struck out like 11, 12, 13 batters. I want to say it was thir- 12. Okay. I'm going to split the difference and say 12. 12 batters and like five innings. I mean, it's just dirty. And it's like, it's not like these guys are bums either. Like, yeah. he's, you know, these are all good college players. So it's a like college all-star teams more or less. So um, with a lot of guys are going to be draft eligible in you know next couple of years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, you know, he's he's a guy to me that, definitely stuck out more than Thompson. Um, but yeah, he wasn't bad. I mean, he's, he's solid and, and it was not great weather. I don't know if I saw him on the best night. Um, I don't know how stretched out he was. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that, you know, it's not, it's not everything. He certainly looks like he, you know, he's a solid polished college arm, but I don't know if there's any, um, uh, sizzle there. Got it. You Got know? it. No, I think that that's kind of my impression too. So that's, no, it's good you got the first hand look at him. I just yeah, I, I'm I wanna, gonna be excited for your takes come 2019 draft because you're gonna have such a baseline for so many guys. Yeah, and I want to uh, I want to correct myself because I think I saw Spencer Torkelson playing uh, in the outfield when when I saw him. Okay, but if uh, if I'm not mistaken, I actually think he's technically an infielder because he's listed everywhere else as like an infielder. So okay, that's no problem. You know, yeah. sometimes crazy, crazy stuff happens on the Cape. <laughs> but you also mentioned uh, Andrew Vaughn there. Um, he wins the Golden Spikes Award. That was announced today, Thursday, the 28th of June. And also on the 28th of June, Oregon State wins the College World Series um, over Arkansas, which was relatively insane because on Wednesday night, um, there was a, a wild and crazy finish with the pop fly into first base foul territory that falls and that would have ended this college world series. So I imagine everyone in Arkansas is relatively uh, shocked in terms of the outcome of this world series, but Oregon state again, anyone, you know, you obviously Nick Madrigal, Lonark. um, And then you also have Adley Rushman, who's a 2019 eligible catcher who I don't think everyone loves the catching um, predictability of from what I understand in terms of that space, but he's hits, he hits pretty well. I think he had a bomb in the college world series, if I'm remembering correctly, or at least a big hit one or the other. And uh, so that Oregon, Oregon state team is, is pretty good going forward. Um, I wish that Oregon state Ralph was sponsored by Rotoware though. That would be, that'd be amazing. Right. If, if he made a beaver shirt, Oh, he should make a beaver shirt, a a believer's shirt or something (laughs) like that. Believe the bully beavers, believe beavers, <laughs> believe but rotoware, rotoware.com at rotoware on Twitter at rotoware classic. And you can check out all the new designs that come out almost daily on rotoware classic. Uh, I mean, hilarious shirts. This guy's been put, putting out my main man, Kenny Cashman. You can follow him at Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter. He has the prospect Jesus shirt, which is a homage to myself. And you know, I love me. So myself, we also have, <laughs> The, the Andy Singleton shirt. You go check that one out. That's hilarious. Of course, we have the Tout Wars champ shirt with Gray Albright only comes in gray. He's got a bunch of Mitch Hanniger shirts. He's got the Tyler O'Neill shirt. The Tyler O'Neill is constantly getting photographed wearing with like fans and like yeah, the sidelines. He's wearing it underneath his jersey in Memphis. So I, uh, I I love that he's got a big fan in like Hanniger. He's got big fans of James Paxton. You know, um, obviously Brad Ziegler dating back to early on the road aware with some of those class, you know, the 
early Rotoware designs, not the Rotoware classic, but I was going to say the classic Rotoware designs, classic with, you know, parentheses around it. I want you to go over to rotoware.com and use our promo code SAGNOF, S H E N O F, to get 20% off all of your purchases there. Uh, I mean, it, you got to support the man. He's putting out awesome stuff. And I'm pretty much if you're a fan of any team or just baseball in general, I promise you between Rotoware and Rotoware Classic, he definitely has a, has a design that you're going to want to buy. Lance, anything that you want to add on Rotoware? I uh, just I want to endorse him, obviously, just because everything he's done has been fantastic. And I, I still am always on edge looking at whatever design he comes out with next. That is Kenneth underscore Cashman at Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter at Rotoware on Twitter. Um, yeah, I, I stay tuned to everything he tweets because I love it. I love it. I toss out all the Scott Fishbowl shirts. I saw his uh, 75 Wegmans or whatever your local grocery store's bag, the reusable bags with those. I was laughing at that, that he shot that tweet out. And yeah, I, I mean, that Tyler O'Neill stuff is unbelievable, too. As a Cardinals fan, I... I that speaks to me. It speaks to me, you know? Ah. I love Tyler O'Neill because of that, specifically, because he loves Kenny, and we all love Kenny. So, obviously, um, everyone, rotoware.com, or just ro- Amazon, rotoware on Amazon. You get six pages of unbelievable shirts, support Kenny and all he's doing, and um, love for the, for the product because it's grown unbelievably well, and I think it'll only continue to grow and will not cease growing with how the, all the time and the effort that he puts into everything. So, props to Kenny, as always. Ralph, we have to dig into... All-star teams now. I wish, you know, we should have. We were talking jerseys at the beginning of the podcast. We should just have Rotoware design jerseys for us. You know? I don't know. I don't know. We've been slacking on this front, in the jersey front for these two teams. But we should get this going here. Um, we're about 30, 35-ish into the show. So, yeah, we can take about an hour and run through our teams. You have a bunch of guys here. I think it ranges between some of the higher-profile guys. I know that, Ralph, you, you purposely tried to include some guys that are, maybe we've talked about, but maybe we're having good enough seasons who haven't gotten enough recognition from us um but it will probably trend towards more guys you know and you've heard the names of before which i think is always good um in terms of just recapping how they're doing and i think we blended i think a lot of these guys are top 100 guys some maybe fall out of the top 100 in most cases but i think all are relevant and all are probably owned in dynasty leagues or guys that maybe you're targeting going forward as we head into the second half of the major league season and of a lot of the minor league seasons as well so what do you say we kick this off ralph do you want to go catcher to catcher here i'm going to start with danny jansen Danny Jansen, obviously AAA for the Blue Jays system now. 299, 413, 474, five home runs, four bags, and even strikeout to walk ratio, which is one of the reasons I love him personally, Ooh. just because the approach is fantastic. This is a guy, and I'm trying to come up with a comp. Catcher comps, I feel like, re- are relatively easy, but, they're, but they're easy because they seem to just be consistent because a lot of the catchers obviously produce the same thing. You obviously have Gary Sanchez on the power side. You know, some of these other contact guys like Francisco Cervelli, who's more just contact and nothing else. But I, I kind of want to say that Danny Jensen almost might be a more consistent version of like 2018 Kurt Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki's been a relatively good player this year. He's high average. He's hitting for a little bit of power. His strike of the walk, I think, is relatively respectable and i feel like that maybe is where danny jansen slots in in terms of his value and it sure. it's not to bog down Jan- danny jansen it's just a matter of saying like he could be like a top 200 guy he could be a catcher that is owned in 12 team leagues that everyone has a share of he's one of those top 12 guys who could slot in there he's not going to kill you on the average side of things he might even be a boost to the average side of things he's going to be non-zero on the home run side of things it seems like maybe in some of these stolen bases come up um and I, I like him. I like his approach to the ball. I know way back on an po- older, older podcast, Ralph, you mentioned that. I believe he went to prescription glasses, and that seems to turn, have turned around a lot of his season. But just as yeah. a whole, too, his development has been unbelievable in terms of how he's kind of been always a periphery top 10 Blue Jays prospect. But I think you have to put him in the top 10 of prospects now. And he's hit so well this year that I think he's up later this year. I also really, really like one aspect of his game in, in that if I'm investing in a catcher in a dynasty league, I want to make sure that he can catch 110 to 120 games. I know we're not in that sphere of of – 
guessing everyone to catch 140 plus. I want to see a guy catch 110, 120, and then have another guy maybe platoon and catch the other 40. And Danton, uh, Jansen caught 100 plus last year. He's on pace to do that again this year. And I really like that aspect of his game as opposed to a lot of these other guys are projecting out, looking at maybe 50 to 60, 70-ish game samples of catching year in, year out. And we're like, yeah, maybe you get to 110. I want to see someone that's done it. His frame's obviously durable for the fact I bet he's relatively decent at pitch framing and, and working with pitchers if they kept him behind the dish for this long. So Danny Jansen is my all-star catcher. Ralph, who is your all-star catcher? So my all-star catcher is the uh, Padres double-A prospect, Austin Allen. I like the alliteration there. So uh, in double-A, Austin Allen, double-A. He's been doing his thing. He's 24 years old, but he's a catcher. So sort of put that, put that into perspective. He's a guy that's always been able to hit, slashing 318, 374, 577. One of the things that really stuck out to me about Allen is the power that he has 15 homers, you know, that 577 near 600 slugging percentage. He's got a sub 20%, just under 20% strikeout rate around 19%. And you can tell that, you know, he makes a lot of contact, makes a lot of hard contact. You know, he's not allergic to walks. I mean, he doesn't have, he has about an average sort of walk rate. Uh, but I like the balance there. Now he is a guy that there is some questions to how good of a catcher he is. I will say one of the positive signs there is he's had 49 games behind the plate, 14 games at first base. If he's sort of splitting at that rate, a few games at DH, but that sort of happens as well. Um, you know, in the minor leagues when they, you know, have the DH available, but I think he's a guy that could sort of bounce between catcher and first base for his first few years. He's having a great season. The numbers just really stuck out to me. I've always liked Allen. So looking at the numbers and then adding a little bit of bias, Austin Allen was the guy I had to go with. And I do think there's some, you know, sort of future power, you know, platoon catcher. Maybe he gets some time at first base as well, depending upon how decent he is uh, defensively there. Uh, shoot me. I haven't seen any Austin Allen at first base, so I couldn't give you <laughs> any sort of scouting takes or informed opinion on that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to, he's a guy that I feel a lot of people are quick to write off, but I, I don't think we can completely write him off because of, you know, how good the production's been. And we know that there's power there and he's, you know, taken some steps forward with the approach. So he's a good hitter. And I, I think the back could even play at first base a little bit too. Mm-hmm. No, I actually can't say I know too much about Austin Allen, so I like that you brought him up. Obviously, he's playing with um, uh, my first baseman as we transition to first baseman here, Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor is the big body Josh Naylor who I enjoy a lot, and I've always really liked the swing of. He's a guy who sets up relatively even with his hands, a little bit high, but the swing is just so smooth. His hands are so quiet, and he has such really, really good c- compact load plus raw power, plus game power, I believe, is what he could get to eventually. The big question mark is always just going to be, how does the body break down? And this is something that obviously you get the knocks on with Luis Gohara, but I think it's less of an issue with a guy like Naylor, who's end up probably going to be playing a you know a subpar first base. I know they've tinkered with him in the outfield, and that always makes everyone laugh just because of his size. But the kick get hit. That's, I think, the thing we always look over with Josh Naylor. 312, 390, 468 this year, 11 strikeouts to 10 walks. I just... It seems like one of those things I just don't think he gets enough respect, honestly. He's such a good hitter. And I'm not exactly sure like what the Padres think of him developmentally in terms of where they want to see him positionally long-term because you can't really ever DH him. He's going to play a, a below-average outfield. Maybe they put him at first base and try him out there. But then he can also have Will Myers and, and Eric Hosmer, who are guys that are obviously going to platoon between those two positions for – an extended period of time. So it's like, I don't really know where he fits in. He seems like maybe it's a trade piece for me to an AL team. And I don't know what ever Preller wants to do in terms of that, but 
all Josh Naylor does is hit and have a good approach at the plate. And I don't think he gets enough love. I really liked how he's played this year. So my first baseman is Josh Naylor. Um, that's a good team out in San Antonio between Naylor, Tatis, and Allen, honestly. The Padres system. Fort Wayne's another team that's stacked. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a lot of good baseball in the Padres system. Absolutely. I think they also have Logan Allen as well on the pitching side. They do, who yeah. didn't make my all-star team, but he is one of my favorites. My first baseman, let me chime in here, is one of my favorites. He's been a favorite of mine long before he was in vogue. And this season, he has blowed up. That is Peter Alonzo of the Mets system. He was in double-A Binghamton, was recently promoted to triple-A Reno, had a huge game, I think, on Saturday night where he, where he hit a, uh, I think he had three homers, in, in, including a, a grand slam, ton of RBIs in that game, seven or eight or some silly number like that. But all throughout the season, even with you know a, a little bit of a slump mixed in toward his tail end of his time in Binghamton, he slashed 304, 432, 562. You know, I was looking at some guys like Nathaniel Lowe, who's had an excellent season um, between you know high A and 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 now and now double A. You know, in the race system. Um, but the thing that stuck out about Alonzo is that 15% walk rate. He's got about a 20% strikeout rate, but the 15% walk rate to me is reminiscent of sort of Reese Hoskins in the sense that, you know, he's a power hitting right-handed first baseman. There's some sort of questions about him. And, you know, all this guy's done is mash and get on base. That's going to play him up a lot. I think he's going to be their first baseman of the future. I would take him over Dom Smith. I think Dom Smith's a very good natural hitter. But for me, I think Alonzo puts together, you know, the power, the on-base skill, and a decent amount of contact. I don't think he's going to be a 300 hitter, you know, at the, at the major league level. But I do think he's a guy that can hit 30 home runs and get on base, like, you know, 350-plus clip, 360-plus clip. He's that kind of a player. Um, the swing isn't necessarily always pretty. Tons of bat speed, and he does have pretty good plate coverage. There aren't you know, any massive holes in Alonzo's swing. Alonzo was a guy that has increased on a lot of boards. I, I, uh, I'm always interested in terms of these righty first basemen just because we're not ever sure. You know, like we, even like, I know you were always a huge guy in Reese Hoskins, but I think that's a class of hitter that a lot of people are very, very slow to buy in on him. Alonzo's yeah. been unbelievable, and I wouldn't be stunned to see him be relatively productive relatively soon at the major league level. You know, he's obviously kicked up to triple A now, and it's one of those things where I- I'm impressed with him, honestly. Um, yeah, and he's a I- Florida kid. I came out of nowhere, too, yeah. And he's a, he's a Florida kid that's, you know, always produced, and he's played against high-level competition for a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, I had him on my top 100 uh, at the end of the season, and I had him just outside the top 100 coming into the season. I mean, he's definitely a player that, um, you know, I've I've always been higher on than a lot of people. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he's really produced this year and sort of showed the skills that he has. Uh, do you want to want to snake a little bit here? Let me jump into my second baseman. Or do you have a, a we, second baseman you're dying to share with us? We, we have the same second baseman and third baseman, which I just realized, Ralph. <laughs> I know. So we try not it. to duplicate. But I, of course, am completely blind in most scenarios that involve reading. So uh, Kessneria is the guy me and Ralph both picked, even though we say we weren't going to pick the same guys. So uh, you give your spiel on Hiria, and then I'll maybe give mine. Hopefully, maybe there's a little bit of differential in terms of what we love about him but i think this is a guy we both highlighted in terms of how well he's been this year um with his promotion to biloxi yeah just an elite bat and i think the power has grown he's, he's run a little bit better he's still six for six at biloxi in terms of stolen bases so since he's been there he's, he's ran pretty well but i think he sort of puts everything together he's a really professional offensive player i think the best thing he's had going for him is the fact that he's been playing second base pretty much every day that's a great sign in terms of you know how 
quickly, you know, his, you know, he may rise to the major leagues, how accelerated his ETA may possibly be. I think, you know, the bat is pretty much major league ready at this point across two levels. He's hit 330, 388, 536, nine homers, 10 steals. Um, you know, he hasn't walked as much. He's been much more of a contact first guy since he's been in the professional ranks. I don't know if it's a matter of competition or whatever in comparison to what he was his junior year at Cal Irvine, where I think he led the nation in walk rate with a 19.4% walk rate. I thought he would walk a little bit more, but with the results that he's had, the fact the power's playing up a little bit, three thirty batting average, there's no way I can be mad at what Keston Heary has done. Therefore he is my all-star second baseman. And I don't think there's uh, too many questions. So I think, you know, Brandon Lowe had a really good year. He's my runner up. And that honorable mention I'll throw in here is uh, Jeff McNeil, who, uh, 26 years old in the Mets organization, went from double A AA to triple A. I think he was a swing change guy, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he's had a really good year. But, you know, when it comes to the prospect stuff, I'm going to take Heston here. Yeah. When I start to throw in my biases, as I mentioned before, so the numbers are there, and my biases. Keston Heary is the guy. Anything you wanted to add on Heary at Lance? Yeah, two quick things actually. One was just that I actually think it's funny he's actually almost gotten a little bit better with the promotion double I, which I don't think you see too, yeah. too much. I know it's one of those like Acuna kind of things where oh my god, he increases another level and look at he's playing better. So I take that for what you, for what it's worth. I just found it interesting because everything seems to be slightly up for him. But the other thing that I, just his swing as a whole is again you mentioned he's a really professional hitter. I think his swings relatively interesting in terms of how well he's able to make contact yet how early he starts his swing he's a guy who starts yeah. a little bit open and starts to really build like almost a rock rhythm with the pitcher and i'm really interested to see if at higher levels they try to quiet that down and make him just purely compact but the the bat to ball ability he has right now with how early he gets his body going it's not really it doesn't really he's not like a heavy bat rap guy he's just kind of like a like just watch him hit like even from any angle you can find him and it's just like it's a slow build and it's like a, a nice coil he gets a lot of momentum going back and it's just such good bat to ball for how much momentum he does in fact build and how well he's able to control it that's i think the biggest thing for me and he stays very short to the ball so it's all this long movement up into his load and then when he actually swings and fires it's very compact so a, a really interesting interplay. He's pleasing to watch as a hitter for the eye, too. I don't think you see too many righty swings that you see that, too, but I do like Hiria's a lot. So we're both pretty in on Hiria, and we're both obviously in, as the rest of the prospect landscape should be, on Vlad, who has not played in a very long time. But I saw a very good stat the other day that I believe Bobachet finally eclipsed him in the Eastern League as the, 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 hit, the hit leader, I guess you could call it. I think he had, like, yes. 84 hits or whatever, and he just got one over Vlad. It was 83. But obviously, Vlad has played about 16 games less than Bo Bichette. So I think that just kind of is another one of the fun facts you could toss on Vlad for how well he's played. He's both yeah. of our third baseman. They're also, I also realize this, Ralph, I don't know if we want to do just an off commentary just because we talk about Vlad so much. I think everyone knows about how much we love him. But yeah, I, yeah, didn't, yeah, I didn't actually find too many third basemen that I would like, that I was like, wow, I really like this guy going forward. And I, yeah. I'm a big Cabrian guy. I love Cabrian Hayes of the Pirates. But again, he's, I don't think you'd call him an all-star this year. I think he's playing really well. I think his glove is one of the plus assets of his that you hope that the, obviously the bat plays up in higher levels as he develops. But even looking at like the top 10 third baseman for, um, I believe, the MLB Pipeline updated their top prospect list. Even the top like 10 third baseman. There Austin wasn't anyone Riley. there. Yeah, it's like Austin Riley. I, I like Austin Riley a lot. I think that I don't know if he's an elite league guy. And same with like Cabrian Hayes. Like I like Cabrian Hayes a lot, but I found that interesting. Like there wasn't a ton of third basemen that I was like really excited for. It seems like we're getting a lot more guys up the middle of the diamond. Um, maybe some will eventually move to third base. I know that that generally is what happens for a lot of guys as we're yeah. going to hear that with Tatis and some others, but I don't know. Is there any other third baseman? Like, or did you notice this? Or is this just me in terms of um, being relatively disappointed with the crop of third baseman? Yeah, I think maybe 
Taylor Ward, um, who's a converted catcher in the Angels organization. Mm-hmm. He's been he's been pretty good. He's a guy that I had on my radar. Uh, as I said, you know, I, I'm I'm very very high on on Austin Hayes. Uh, Kevin Smith plays a little third base as well um, from the Blue Jays organization. And he's had a very good statistical season. Hasn't been as good since he's gotten the promotion to double uh, A, but he's played 22 games at third. So I guess technically, excuse me, double A, I meant to say high A. Um, though he's been pretty good. He's got five homers, so it's not like he's been bad. But you know, Kevin Smith is a guy maybe you could bring up, I think, and have a case for uh, all-star if you're just sort of looking at what they've done thus far in the first half. He's a guy that's definitely been a, been a big breakout. It also looks like just sort of throwing out some Vlad news here that he was hitting off a tee and I think maybe taking batting practice. So oh, great. I think he's inching closer that they're going to reevaluate at the date for a week date or whatever. And uh, he might be activated relatively soon, sometime in early to mid-July. So I think we'll, we'll be seeing some Vlad before we know it, though probably not in the major leagues now because they have no reason to do that uh, unless, unless they decide, hey, we don't even have Josh Donaldson. Maybe we need to sell like five tickets. So <laughs> let's do it. Um, shortstop, I have Fernando Tatis Jr. We sort of alluded to him before. Despite an awful April, per usual, per, he's always awful in April. He's been tremendous since. 276. 350, 592, that's on the year with 12 homers and 12 steals. But I wanted to mention since May 1st, so since that awful April was, you know, burnt with the, with the epitaphs of awful Aprils and the, <laughs> the lures of Tatis's history as a 19 year old, he's hit 323, 404, 567 with nine of his, uh, of his 12 homers and all 12 of his steals. So Tatis has been a guy that's been absolutely a monster since the beginning of May, uh, throw out that early, that early April stuff. Since then, he has been one of the best hitters, if not, you know, the best hitter in the minor leagues, though Joe Adele might have something to say about that, but you have a different shortstop for me. I do sticking with the New Hampshire Fisher cats theme here. I go with Boba Shett, who is an individual that I enjoyed watching a lot this year. And I know you did as well with Vlad on that team. He kicked down a third in the order after Vlad went on the, the DL down there. So he was getting some, I, I'd actually be interested in someone asking him how he changed his approach. Cause I know a lot of the interviews I watched with Bo, he kept saying how, you know, how they pitch Vlad is generally how they pitch me. So I'm able to kind of anticipate what is coming, but it seems like he's sustained similar to what he's been doing. So I don't know if that was just a spiel he came up with and kept saying, or if it's something he actually developed off of. But it seems like now that Vlad's out of the lineup, I'm, I'm assuming he's being pitched slightly differently. And I'd be really interested to ask him how it's different or if he's noticed that it's different. If he if he wants Vlad back in the lineup just for his own personal reasons of trying to develop a little bit more and understanding how pitchers are attacking Vlad before they attack him, etc. So I think that's interesting um, just in terms of how he's played. But again, 283, 344, 447 on the season, seven home runs, 24 for 30 on the base too um and I, I think i'll always stand by the fact that i think he has a little bit more hidden raw than a lot of people anticipate yeah. i think he's a guy who there. maybe doesn't hit like a 310 with 10 to 15 home runs i think he ends up probably more like a 270 280 hitter with possibly 20 plus that's my eventual projection for him as he kind of matures into his body a little bit love the bat speed um i know in the past i always kind of hated that bat wrap and the uh the kind of two strike adjustment he makes but he's able to replicate his upper body so so well with that two strike adjustment that i like him a lot and he's become one of my probably favorite prospects and especially i think years too in terms of just we've seen him so much we've seen him adjust yeah. we've seen him play a ton and he's fun to watch and i think he can end up um, being a, a regular to plus everyday player at the major league level so really excited for boba um hoping maybe for like a late 2019 
debut at the major league level. I don't know if he's like a September yeah, guy. Yeah, no. We'll see. We'll see how he develops. Maybe honestly. maybe even mid twenty nineteen. You just yeah. don't know what their plan is. Exactly. Uh, I want to also mention runner up. I had Carter Kaiboom. Uh, statistically, might be better than any of them thus far this good, season. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Uh, who's up in Double A now? I'm going to get some looks at him. And then O'Neill Cruz, who's been excellent as well. Yeah, O'Neill Cruz, I know, is a guy you liked a lot, Ralph. So I'm, I'm interested to see him going forward. I've seen him kicking around on Twitter a lot, too. I know a lot of the cohort we have, a lot of the Paul Paul Martins individual we know. Yeah. Uh, John Cal Vagno. Yeah. Got a good look got at a, him. Yeah, I remember seeing that around, too. I was about to mention him. So O'Neill Cruz, definitely a name to keep an eye on. That What I don't think a lot of people knew about either. But um, let's jump into some outfielders now. We'll go one by one here. I'll start with Christian Stewart. Kristen Stewart? One or the other. I don't know. He's a Tiger prospect. Kristen. Kristen. Kristen Stewart. Hitting a Just ton like of home runs. Just like the actress. 269, 351, 504, 15 home runs in 72 games. Pretty much pacing relatively similar similar actually to what he put up at Erie last year in AA. Obviously up in AAA now. And I think I, I, I like that a lot in terms of guys who are just able to duplicate what they did in prior levels. Just because it makes me more confident going forward that that is actually the pure talent of the guy. Especially when you get a larger sample like this. Christian Stewart, is he's, he has a large sample now. I think it's to the point where... You know, it's pretty funny because you have Christian, Kristen Stewart and you have Casey Mize, who are two guys that I think are going to fly and, and be almost like 2020 impact guys. Whereas the rest of the team, in terms of Bob Burris and Matt Manning and some of these other guys in their system, even like a Daz Cameron who's up in double A now, are maybe a little bit further off in terms of their impact date. So they're going to have some shuffling to do in terms of how they actually want to project forward, how they want to put a team on a field that's competitive or have a few competitive pieces before the rest of the team actually comes forward from their, their kind of rebuild they're going through and actually produces. So um, 20% walk rate to, excuse me, 20% strikeout rate to 11% walk rate. It's tolerable. I think he'll walk at the next level. I don't know how good of an outfield he plays. I don't know if he's eventually the DH of this team sooner than later, but I, I think that maybe obviously in his youth before the speed deteriorates a little bit more, he can post an average to below average outfield and put enough on the power and, uh, offensive side of things to mitigate any potential liability he is on the defensive side of things. So he'll should be up. Uh, do you think he's up at the end of this year, Ralph? I feel like he might get a look. He, he's played so well. It just seems yeah, like I don't see why he's on, down for the whole year. He's on the DL right now. It's first DL stint in, uh, the hit in his professional career. Uh, Emily Walden had shared that. So I don't know how significant the injury is. I think we'll have to wait and see, but I don't think it's like, you know, a season ending thing or anything like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I've always liked Kristen Stewart. Uh, he's improved his, you know, and become more of a two outcome hitter. He's hitting for a little bit more contact, striking out a little bit less. That's improved. It's taking a little bit longer than maybe, you know, some dynasty managers would like. But I do think he's a guy that's going to play up at the major league level because of the sort of skill set that he has. Um, plus bat speed. He's got a ton of raw power, as you mentioned. And uh, I think he can hit 30 homers. I, I really do. And I think, you know, people underestimate how good of a ballpark Detroit is to hit him because of that, that hitter's backdrop. Um, Forget about the dimensions in Comerica. That's a very good park, and it plays very well. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, Kristen Stewart's going to be the first of this rebuild to sort of come up and maybe get a couple of years of experience before uh, some of these other arms and stuff come up, and maybe they can draft some some hitters and trade for some at some point. But, um, yeah, he's, he's pretty interesting. I'm going to jump into my number one outfielder, who is uh, setting the world on fire, and that would be Joe Adele of the Angels organization. He was a you know, top pick last year, first rounder for them. And I think you might say now he might be the best hitter to come out of that draft. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I think you could probably argue best player some other ways, but I don't know. I think right now it's probably pretty tough to argue against Joe Adele in, in any circumstance. So he's uh, played between, you know, both levels of a ball thus far this season, Burlington. He's actually played up in inland. He's got 16 homers in the year with 11 steals. He's slashing 332, 381, 634, ton of raw power, 
much better plate coverage than I think a lot of people thought he had. Um, I like, you know, I like the swing mechanics. I think he's relatively compact for a guy with sort of the, the power that he has. Um, I love Adele. He's a freak athlete as well. And, you know, as long as, you know, the, the, the arm is completely back, I haven't watched a lot of Joe Adele defense, but he's a guy that, you know, can, can hum it from the outfield too. So he's like a true five tool sort of player. Anything you wanted to add on Adele? No, I think that he's kind of blown out of the water all expectations. I think the only other guy you can kind of bring into the debate right now is Royce Lewis. And Adele's done it at a higher level, so I do agree that you'd probably yeah. give the nod to Joe Adele in that respect. More but sizzle, too. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. 16 home runs. He's a, looks like he's 11 for 13 on the bases, too, between two levels, which is really nice. He's not walking too, too much. I know that's fallen off after he jumped up to inland, but and the strikeouts are right in that 25-ish window. Um, I think the swing is compact. I wonder if it's just a simple reps thing for him, honestly, because he seems like he's striking out a little bit above probably the rate you'd want him to. But then again, the kid's 19, so it's like, yeah. what exactly do you want in terms Part of... 19. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it's going forward. It's like that'll eventually drop, and if it drops, then you're looking at, as, as what you said, a an all-around plus guy. I don't know. You think you hope yeah. the fielding can get there? I know his arm has been one of those weirder things in terms of he had that weird elbow thing in the past, but I think that might be he's completely out of the out of the water now. Maybe the speed deteriorates. I know he's a little bit bigger of a guy, but the raw power has always been there. I think it projects out to be game power. If he ever puts together an average hit tool, you're looking at a perennial top 30, 40 player at the major league level on fantasy side of things, I think. So yeah. Joe Adele's one to watch. I think a lot of teams pass at him and are probably kicking themselves. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And so I'm going Oh, oh, you oh, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, honorable, go ahead. No, no problem. Honorable mention for me was Joe Adele, but I want to kind of make a joke pick here and, and bring up the Japari Blash campaign that's been happening at AAA. Um, I figured it'd be funny to just kind of toss it a guy like this. Um, but uh, yeah, Adele's right in that conversation. But uh, Jabari Blash, 22 home runs in 53 games. His slash line is 342, 442, 745. <laughs> I just don't like understand how this happens. He had a really weird big leg kick with a really odd like Kevin Euclid's bat wrap but it was more at his letters than above his head and I just I have no idea what's going on and I just think it's funny I just he's been unbelievable in terms of the production he's put up I think he got called to the major league major leagues earlier in June um obviously didn't hit too well because it's it's Jabari Blash but I mean if we're putting together an all-star team Ralph and we're playing in a PCL park I want Jabari Blash on my team triple a masher lifetime I love it yeah, he's gonna win. He's gonna win the All Star Game MVP and the yes. Home Run Derby. Not even a question. So my number two outfielder is Ryan McKenna of the Baltimore organization. He's been one of the biggest risers, if not the biggest riser, from obscurity to potential top 100 prospect between two levels, uh, High A and Double A. As a 21 year old, it's Frederick and Bowie. Um, he's slashing 365, 458, 528, eight homers five steals. I think his speed can play up even more. I don't know how much power he has, but the big thing with him is he's really in, increased his ability to recognize pitches and differentiate between breaking balls, off speed stuff and fastballs. He's talked about it, you know, at nauseum. He said, I'm not a swing change guy. I haven't changed really anything uh, at all in terms of my swing. It's just a matter of I've gotten better at recognizing pitches seeing what's coming at me, reacting, swinging at the right stuff, not chasing on stuff at the outside of the zone. And he really credits uh, 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 sort of some reps and, and work that he did in the cage over last summer, and it really started to pay dividends uh, over his last four or five weeks um, in low A last year. So, you know, he's a guy that maybe we could have saw it coming a little bit, but nobody saw it coming. He was off, you know, the top 30 list of the Orioles 
uh, organization, Baseball America, and that is an absolutely um, barren system <laughs> is one way to put it. So I like McKenna a lot. He's got good bat speed. Like I said, I love the fact that he sort of fits this top of the order up the middle mold that, you know, he's a center fielder plays legit defense and center. He's got a good arm too. And, you know, he gets on base. He can run a little bit. Guy has enough power to be dangerous. This guy could be a really good leadoff hitter uh, for many, many years at the major league level if he keeps up what he's done so far this year. And I think he's age appropriate as a cold weather. You know, he's a kid from Maine. You know, played high school baseball in uh, I think Nashua, New Hampshire. And you know, now we're now we're seeing everything sort of come to fruition of the work that he's put in. You know, his coaches rave about his work ethic. And he's the sort of rare Orioles prospect that knows how to take a walk. And he really knows how to take a walk. Uh, I like McKenna a lot. I think, I think he is going to be at the back end of my top 100. Yeah, I, I think you've actually turned me on to McKenna a bit. I don't think I knew too much about him coming into this year, but I think we talked about it yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and he's a guy I've been keeping an eye on. And Legit I think, skills. Uh, I think Bowie comes into Hartford at some point in the next couple months, right? Or am I mistaken? Yeah, they do. Uh, they yep, do. I'm yep. going to be able to get some looks at him. Nice. And I'm going to get some looks at, at uh, Carter Kaiboom. I think I have some tickets to see them toward the end of July in New Hampshire. So. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Look at that. Eastern League scouting from Ralph. I, I miss it already, man. <laughs> but uh, but Kyle Tucker is my last and third outfielder here. Um, obviously kind of a slam dunk pick on this side. I think that Ralph covered and will cover with his third outfielder the the highest of the high in terms of down some of these other outfielders. Christian Stewart <laughs> is another one. But Kyle Tucker, I think, slots into that you know top 15, top window of prospects um, that a lot of people really like. A lot of people have heavy investments in 315, 382, 525 on the slug, 12 home runs, 13 for 15 on the bases. He's a guy who's, I think, a borderline five tools. I don't know if that's speed. He seems like he's almost like a Paul Goldschmidt kind of speed guy. And I don't want to project him out for 25 plus bats but he's one of those guys where you just I, I didn't really ever expect him to steal a bunch of bases but I could see him being a perennial like 10 to 15 bag kind of guy the major level yeah. which would be fantastic for the approach that he has he's obviously smoothed out the weirdness in his swing I think that um, I remember a while ago I think I mentioned this before I was speaking with a, a scout from the Astros down at the winter meetings last year and I asked him the one question I wanted to know was when exactly they started adjusting Kyle Tucker and the guy said when he struggles and he has not struggled so there has not been a lot of adjustment major adjustment I would say I think they've obviously done a very good job of keeping the structure of his swing intact the blueprint of the swing he has intact and tinkering with it here and there to the point where the ultimate product is better than the what it was in the past but the substance of it sure. and the weirdness of it and kind of that old-timey feel of it with his almost like a little bit of a hitch and how he flattens out his bat uh, is interesting but his lower body's engaged so well that he's able to drive the ball in the air very very well and i think that'll play up and he ends up you know i'd like to see him i think he's like a 25 10 guy with a, with a really nice average so i think he's very very valuable at the major league level i also think he's a really nice high floor guy too he's got a he's putting together a relatively nice minor league sample now where the Astros i think are just continually seasoning him i believe that um and the Astros also said that a 2018 debut for him was likely. I don't know if I want to quote that. I could try to find the quote specifically from whether it was Lunau or maybe Hinch or someone like that. But, um, uh, yeah, it seems like we'll get Kyle, T- Kyle Tucker this year. 4% more on the walk rate, too, which is really nice. And if that sustains around 10% clip, you're looking at, I think, a perennial all-star. So, big fan of Kyle Tucker. He's played well this year. He's my third and final outfielder. Ralph, your third and final outfielder is an individual who is very near and dear to my heart, and I enjoy a lot. And we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, That would be Alex Kirilov, now of the high A Fort Myers storm. Miracle. Miracle? They are the miracle. (laughs) I said storm. I don't know why storm. Somebody's somebody's a storm. That's Blake Elsinore's storm. Yeah, yeah, the Padres. Exactly. Uh, He's been 
unbelievable. I mean, we don't even have to say much about him. We talked about him for like 20 minutes. I wrote an entire post about him. 20 years old. He's hitting 327, 383, 587, 14 homers. He had a homer, I think, in his first game uh, in the uh, Florida State League. He's a phenomenal talent, unbelievable hitter. And uh, I'm excited to own Alex Kirilov everywhere. Some folks are only putting him in like the, the back end of the top 100. He was already there for me. I think this guy is legitimately a top 50 player, particularly in dynasty rankings. This guy should only climb, climb, climb because he's an excellent, excellent hitter. You know, power, approach, contact, work ethic. He knows what he's doing. This guy was made to play baseball, and that's pretty much all he's done his entire life. So, yeah, Kirilov is my last guy. Honorable mention, I'll mention I had Kyle Tucker. Sully Mateus, who's had an excellent year with Lexington. Tons of power. Tyler O'Neill, another guy. Tons of power. He's gotten some taste at the major league level. You know what I feel about Tyler O'Neill. But he's had a, had a year and the numbers to back it up with Memphis. Um, anything you wanted to mention on any of those outfielders? Or do you want to jump into our, uh, our anchors here of the squad with our right-handed and left-handed pitcher? I was just going to toss my honorable mentions who were all hitters too. Brendan Rodgers, sure. I obviously had Tatis, Nathaniel Lowe is another individual you mentioned. Sully Matias as well. Um, so it seems to be some overlap here. And then for catcher two, I think MJ Mendelez was in that conversation. So, oh, yeah, that's a great um, one. Melendez. 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 I get that mixed up. And, and I Brendan Zach Collins. I forgot to mention Zach Collins. Collins is another good one. So, yeah, I feel like we're covering all our bases here in terms of uh, – I'm sure there will be some from rowdy fans who are disappointed in terms of us not slotting Suli in there, which is – I actually thought one of us was going to snag Suli. I thought you were going to snag Suli. Or Kaleo Lee, who was also part of the double A. He was also part of the double A. We forgot to mention Yeah, man. Yeah. Jeez. Royals looking good. Royals looking up. I think that's something we, we champion on this podcast. So uh, Yeah, the Tatis Kaiboon thing was the speed. You know, yeah, fair, Tatis, fair, fair. Tatis runs a little bit, so – I think that helps a lot. Um, you, who's your right-handed starter? Tell me. Uh, I went pretty simple here. I went Chris Paddock, who I think is brought up in almost every conversation now when you mentioned elite pitching. I think he's a guy who's flown into the top 100. I'd say even top 50 on most boards. I bet he's in that window for you when you update. And I bet he's in that for mine. Um, one of the top seems to be becoming one of the top right-handed arms. Um, obviously, came over from Miami. Off Tommy John, everything seems to be playing up relatively well. 46 innings in high A with the Storm. Uh, 175 ERA, 129 FIP. His BABIP is high. I actually think it's like 352, which is even more confusing. 45% strike rate to 2% walk rate. This is the all-star on the right-handed side of the mound. Um, he's got a crazy, crazy change. up. watch any of that video. That thing just fades unbelievably well from the right side. We've spoken about him before. He's on everyone's radar now. I'm interested to see as he jumps up into higher levels, whether this sustains. He seems to be almost gaining like a force Whitley kind of helium in terms of what he's putting together and how much recognition he is, in fact, getting. So Chris Paddock, man, he's he's got to be probably the top pitcher on anyone's board in terms of all-stars go. But uh, you left him for me, Ralph. Who's your right-handed pitcher? I did. So I took a guy, I guess it's a little bit of a cheater because uh, he's in the major leagues right now and he has looked excellent in the major leagues. That'll be Shane Bieber. And that's because across a couple of levels this year, he was excellent. The The numbers between Akron and Columbus for the 23 year old, 25% K rate, which is solid, but the 2.5% walk rate, elite command control guy with some stuff. I think he you know, really earned this spot by being, you know, not necessarily the most projectable, but the best sort of pitching talent. Um, you know, this guy knows how to pitch and I think the stuff is there. It's, it's tough to knock him as strictly a control guy. His fastballs average 93 in the major league level. Um, you know, he, he mixes his pitches pretty well, um, uses the slider and the curveball and the changeable, you know, the, uh, uses the change up a little bit as well. And, you know, all of his off speed stuff is, you know, or his breaking stuff has been, you know, plus pitches, really good stuff. And, and I think, you know, it's, 
it, it's tough to totally write him off when, you know, you see through these four starts at the major league level, he's got a 12.3% swing and strike rate, 31.6% O swing. So he's getting some chases too. And I think that's nice to see from a guy like this because we know he has the control. You know, we, we know he can induce weak contact, but it's nice to see that he can miss some bats as well. Even if it's only a small sample on the first time through the major leagues, but I think the stuff is there. And, uh, that's one of the reasons that I chose Bieber because to me, he's sort of a finished package. And if we know one thing with pitching prospects is, you know, the road can really deviate in terms of, you know, how things go in development. It's an up and down roller coaster sort of ride. It's not like there aren't a lot of starters other than like Carlos Rodon. And it's not like he's turned into an ace where they go right from the draft and really shoot through the minor leagues and end up in the majors quickly, like an Alex Bregman or Ben Attendi or someone of that like. And I want to I want to place my bets here on guys that have played, um, you know, a little bit higher level, pitched a little bit more innings. We know that you know Bieber can handle the rigors of a full season, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he can do now that he's probably going to be in the big leagues for for good. Absolutely, yeah. He slots into an, uh, a rotation that seems to be breeding left and right plus pitching between Clevenger yeah. and, and Bauer. So their development in terms of the pitching side of things is obviously very advanced. So I'm interested to see what they do with Bieber. But, yeah, you mentioned the 12% swinging striker. I think that's extremely encouraging in terms of how he's produced at the major league level, um, especially because I think initially I don't think we all viewed him as like an insane strikeout guy, but that, that, I think that's yeah, just like above eight, league average. 9% is what I, what I, what I expected, yeah, right? you know. Yeah. Which is, you know, league average about 9, 9-ish mm-hmm. percent. I think it's right percent. in that window, yep. Yeah. You know, he's and, and he's it, got the it. good, he's got the good O swing at 31%. So he's getting guys chasing too, which is, you know, I always look as like, all right, that, he's got that swing and strike right in a small sample, but what's he doing? Is he getting chases outside the zone? And that's yep. good to see, especially for a guy like Bieber who doesn't throw many pitches outside the zone, you know? So yep. maybe it's a small sample there too, but Hey, whatever. If he, if he figures out how to use those, then he should. Um, who's your left-handed starter, Lance? My left-handed starter, Ralph, is Brendan McKay, who I guess you could consider maybe an also a position player. I think I'm cheating here to some extent. You took the you took the, the uh, guy I wanted, and I think I obviously had to leave him for you because he's your boy. I'll let you mention him in a second. But Brendan McKay, um, interesting because he gets kicked off the high 23 innings, 30% strike rate to 4% walk rate, which I think is probably the main reason why I have him in here. I think his ERA looks a lot higher than it should be. I think it should be more in kind of like that mid-threes, low-threes. And I think the ERA is, is, is almost above four right now or, or healthily above four but um uh, the weirdest thing is that his strand rate's like below 60 percent the left on base percentage i think is like 50 55 to 59 or whatever i saw in fan graphs which is weird which almost maybe signifies he's having a bit of an issue from the stretch i can't imagine why else that that would be so 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 low maybe it's just again small sample i know that doesn't stabilize very quickly at all but um then i'm going to cheat and say that he's also hitting so he's i know he's only hitting 200 but he's still hitting and i don't think that there's many players in the in the minor leagues that would be able to face any level of excuse me, as a pitcher, face any level of, of pitching against them as a hitter and be able to produce at a 200 clip. And I know it's, again, b- below what we all expect, but he hit pretty well when he was in A-ball. And I think that it's one of those things where I'm really interested to see how the Rays develop him, especially with how they're doing all their piggyback rotations now. If there's any way that they keep developing him as a hitter and a pitcher, and eventually maybe we get to see him up in Montgomery, up at double-A, hitting and pitching, and then next thing you know, he's on the doorstep where he could possibly be one of those two-inning starter weird guys, but also hit on the opposite day. And I also think just developmentally, this is something I've mentioned numerous times, I believe, in terms of how the game is changing is just 
I'm really interested to see teams take chances on guys like this to understand how the recovery process works around a guy who's throwing for two innings and then maybe gets a day off for recovery and then comes back and hits two days in a row and then maybe throws two days later. I'm just really interested in terms of how that fluidity works, how that deterioration of skill set works over a longer picture. And to, for us to understand that and for us to be able to nurture players who we, we hope could be two-way players at the next level as we go forward. I know they raised also drafted a guy, Tanner Dotson out of Cal, who's another two-way guy. And I'd be really interested to see if they do a very similar thing that they've done with McKay. Um, maybe they take Dotson as more of a pitcher where I think he's going to end up. But we just need guys like this at higher levels to understand the recovery process and the Razor. I guess they're doing the diligence for everyone else and, and risking a guy like McKay and doing this, and I really like it. And we're obviously going to get some of that data with Otani and it hasn't looked too good so far, but I think there is a blend for it. I know this is something I've always championed, but at someday I believe we'll see some crazy, crazy things happen in terms of 2A players. And maybe it's, maybe it's closer than I think. Maybe it's further off, but McKay gets kind of my... Uh, He's, he's my guy. I like McKay a lot. So I had to mention him in terms of my left-handed starter. Ralph, your left-handed starter is a name I'm pretty sure everyone's very familiar with, right? That would be Jesus Lazardo. And uh, I think we know about him. You know, plus fastball gets it up there, you know, in terms of velocity, gets tongues of swings and misses, has an excellent changeup, plus plus changeup that he mixes with that. And then a, a curve, you know, that I've heard is is average above average i've heard it's average fringe so i'm going to guess that it's an average curveball that flashes above average from time to time um but you know for a 20 year old it's been remarkable what he's done between you know high a and double a stockland and midland 31.3 percent strikeout rate to a seven percent walk rate 203 batting average against and a 1.04 whip i'm sort of ignoring some of the other stuff this guy is missed bats limited the walks limited the contact and, you know, it's had a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, been a little bit unlucky in terms of Bay Bips. So I think Luzardo is the best left-handed pitcher, you know, pound for pound in the minors right now. He's not the biggest guy. He's only 6'1", sort of a maxed out body. You know, I don't think he necessarily projects to be necessarily, you know, Mackenzie Gore. We have some of these other guys now that we can sort of sprinkle in there. But if you want to say, you know, who's performed the best, who's the closest, you know, who's the safest with some upside. I think you have to go with Lizardo and that's why he'll probably be my highest ranked left-handed starter in my forthcoming top 100. There were some interesting guys I want to mention, uh, Jose Suarez, you know, he just, he, at the triple a level, he just has not, even though he's 20 and he's in triple a, he's got like a 270 batting average against 275 batting average against, which isn't great, you know, and he still has some walk issues. The whip's pretty high at 1.46. And, and that's, that's a red flag. That's a guy that's gotten a little bit lucky. He misses a ton of bats, but I think Jose Suarez may end up being um, a back end starter that ends up getting converted to a really good middle reliever, back end reliever at some point in his career. But he's my, uh, he's my honorable mention cause he's moved up a lot and you, you got to give him some credit for the year he's had. My honorable mention right-hander is Forrest Whitley. Oof. So of there course, you go. I have to mention Whitley. Yeah, I had to. You know, I gotta, I gotta go with my boy, even though he got blowed up recently. He that's did. A, he did. That's the name it's of the inevitable. podcast. Blowed up. By the way, <laughs> I love it, Ralph. That was actually a more compact time wise than I thought it was gonna be. That yeah, well that too bad. I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud yeah. of you. <laughs> Any yeah, uh, games you're, you're hitting? What are you hitting for the Cape? You're hitting the Cape. You're gonna hit oh, today. I got rained we'll out. We'll see. It's it's fourth. It's Fourth of July weekend. Yeah, so like, that's coming up. And too. my mother-in-law's coming to town. I have a, my best friend's getting married on Sunday. And I think I'm off on Monday and Tuesday. So we'll see if maybe I could sneak out some games then. Yes, yeah. I was thinking about tomorrow, but do I really want to drive to Cape Cod 
Yeah, on like, a Friday. Like Sorry, after yeah. work, after work on Fourth of July weekend on a Friday, it's probably going to be like three hours. That I may get out of work and just check, like what the the way says, and if it's like under two hours, then I'll be like, hmm. But if it, it's it's going to be like two and a half, three. It's just a wear ham. So mm, yeah, yeah. It's tough. I don't know. And it's it's also we're in a heat wave, so we shouldn't miss too many games. It's going to be like. 90 to like yep. 96 over the next week here in Massachusetts. So I don't know, follow hot. me on Twitter. I'm, I'm prospect Jesus. I'm putting out something literally just pretty much every day. If you start on Sundays, you got my first big minor league update and my big articles to the top 100. It's either going to come up this week or next week, probably on, uh, on, on a Sunday. Uh, on Monday, I rest. I record the podcast with Gray. That comes out on Tuesdays. On Wednesdays, I do the baseball show over on Fan Tracks on YouTube and Periscope with Andy Singleton. We had Ben Badler on last week. We've had Jason Woodell on. Uh, we've had Mike Gianella on from Baseball Prospectus. Uh, and before that, we had on Kyle Glazer. We've had a million great guests. I mean, it's just been an unbelievable second season for the show. So go back and check some of those out. Ben went through his, his July 2nd and you know, what, what's a better time than a few days before July 2nd, like three days yep. before July 2nd to get Ben Badler on and all of his insights into some of the top players in the class. And, uh, I'll save some of it cause I'm going to write about it probably in the next couple of weeks. So I won't, I won't spill all the beans on the show. Uh, and then Thursday I have a post that comes out over on Razzball, one of my other minor league posts Friday. I got prospect 1500. My Kate post is coming out Saturday. The podcast comes out Sunday. We start the whole thing again. So Monday is the only day that I'm not hitting you with an article or a podcast, three podcasts, three articles. That's what I'm doing every week. Lance, anything you want to promote for the end of the show? No, I mean, uh, at Lance Brazdo on Twitter, I think that's the big thing. I think last week I mentioned I was going to try to hit Mackenzie Gore out in Fort Wayne. It looks like right now I think he's pitching on the 4th, so that might be how I'm spending my Independence Day. Uh, that's how it's wow. sliding up at least, so uh, I might head out for that. And then um, I actually am trying to line up an interview with him, so uh, – that's another little snippet that I hope I could eventually bring in and talk to you guys about on the show here and various other Sweet. outlets. Um, Two Strike Approach podcast is on Spotify and iTunes. Obviously, this podcast. Um, Viva Alberta, I'm a staff writer for Razzball.com, comes out yep. every Monday for me. And I'm we're jumping around. Spotify now. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, we saw that. I remember Gray was yeah, uh, helping Spreaker. me out with that. Uh, Spreaker? Is that what it's called? Spreaker, yep. Spreaker? That's weird. I don't know how to spell that. But hey, we're on Spotify. That's all that matters. Speaker with an R in front of the uh, in, in front of the, the vowels. Spre- ah, I see. Okay, Spreaker. I got it. All right. Well, hey, that's it. If you're listening on Spotify, welcome to Spotify. I, I know I use Spotify. I started using Spotify for podcasts, so it's a great platform. Um, Peace. Running stuff. Everybody enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your 4th of July, and take care. We'll see you next week. Yeah, happy 4th, America. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.